Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. I'm joined, as most days, by Adam Clayton Powell III, the co-host of this program. Today we're doing something which is very close to my heart. We're talking to two people from the American College of the Building Arts in Charleston, South Carolina. This is a positive enthusiasm of mine. The college differs from other colleges across the country in that it offers a two-year or a four-year liberal arts course and a trade. And these are really sophisticated trades. Uh, it's very interesting. A lot of the students, I've been told, when they leave the college, have a skill that leads them to starting within four or five years their own businesses. We're going to meet now Wade Razzie, who is provost of the school, and uh, particularly Iris Howe, who graduated and is a stonecutter. What do you say, uh, Iris? Do you say stonecutter, stonemason, stonecarver? I'd say stonecarver and maybe okay. stonemason, but mostly okay. stonecarving. All right. Well, tell us how you came to carve stone for a living. This is not normally something one assumes with young women, that they are stone cutters. It does seem to be uh, something that has traditionally been, if you will, a male preserve. Uh, yeah, I found out about the school from your show. And it was either this or go to like a state school for studio art, but I didn't really know what I would do with a degree in studio art. So I just kind of picked this and picked stone carving because it seemed interesting. Um, and now I'm here. So. <laughs> and and you are now a qualified, are you think of yourself as a, as a mason, as somebody uh, who can go out and get work, say, I know you've done some work on the National Cathedral in Washington and uh, I've seen some of your work. I saw a tombstone, one of the first things you did for your grandfather. What sort of work do you do? Right now, it's really architectural stuff, so things that will go on buildings. The last project I did for college is going to go on the National Cathedral, so I'd like to keep doing architectural stuff, like things that go on buildings, opposed to like freestanding sculpture or gravestones. Wade, before we go to Adam, tell us, in your own words, a little bit about the college that I may have messed up or not gotten right. Hey, you hit the high points. So uh, the college was founded in 2004. Um, it was really a response to the devastation of the historic properties here in Charleston after Hurricane Hugo. And uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's a unique college. Uh, we're really the only college that has a program like this. So students do generally 12 hours of liberal arts courses, which are going to include all the normal things, math, science, history, um, literature, foreign language. Um, we give them a little bit of a slant toward the main goal of the college, which is to train students in a trade area. And so currently we have uh, students that are being trained to do plaster, stone carving, uh, blacksmithing, timber framing, and carpentry, architectural carpentry. And then uh, I think since you were here last, we added our first new specialization, which is classical architecture and design, um, which is uh, a little bit different yeah. um, because it's, it's, it's 
the way that an architecture program works, um, except our focus is on classicism. And uh, they're only, um, <clears throat> I think there's only one other school in the country that focuses specifically on classical architecture, which is um, University of Notre Dame. Uh, there are a couple of other programs that have classical elements to them, but our program is a is a classical focused program. And that makes sense in a city like Charleston, where you have an abundance of 18th century and early 19th century architecture. Wade, you have a remarkable set of majors, as they were. And you just named some of them, architectural carpentry, blacksmithing, uh, plaster, architectural stone, timber framing. These sound like um, professions out of the 19th century or earlier. Uh, are there many of these jobs now in the uh, here in the United States in the 21st century? Yes, actually there are. Um, they, they are traditional jobs. I mean, in almost every case, they go back centuries. Um, but there is a, uh, a need because we basically stopped training people for these kinds of jobs in the 1960s. And so there's a huge skill gap now. And um, a lot of our students will go into preservation and uh, historic property work. We have, for example, three of our carpentry and timber framing students currently work at Mount Vernon. Um, but we also have a number of students that go into newer construction as well. So um, Iris is an alumni and uh, she's working on a project uh, that the school's affiliated with for a brand new building that's being built here in Charleston over the next few years that will have a lot of traditional um, architecture embellishment. So they have these four uh, one facade of the building is this uh, series of arches and the capstones for those arches are uh, women's faces depicting the four seasons. And Iris is carving at fall least one. Two. You're doing yeah. two. You're doing fall and winter. Fall and winter. OK, so uh, and there are a whole <clears throat> there are a whole group of um, proposals uh, for other carved work on that building as well. It's a. Uh, uh, architect out of Savannah, Georgia, named Christian Sotili, who's trying to prove that you can build buildings like people used to build buildings. But the main um, stumbling block to that over the last couple of decades is that there's nobody that can do this kind of work. Well, now we have people that can do this kind of work. We can start building some buildings that are beautiful again. What happened um, in the 1960s that caused the U.S. to stop training people in these Oh, it was a couple of things. There was a report called the White Hill Report that was, was issued in 1968 or 69 that basically said um, there was go that predicted the exact position that we're in now. But um, essentially what happened is that the GI Bill opened up a uh, opened up college to a whole group of people that probably wouldn't have normally gone to college, which is, you know, one of the great things about the GI Bill. But you had fewer people going into the trades. <clears throat> and at the same time, because of the space race, we were pushing more high-end technology training rather than the kind of stuff that, that we're talking about. So there just wasn't the impetus for people to go into those skilled trades anymore. And uh, at the same time, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. Architecture really wasn't modernist brutalism and international style really don't get into 
the kinds of things that our students are capable of doing um, because basically you're just building a big square or rectangular box for as cheap as you possibly can. Um, and so there's no thought of embellishment. You know, people stop doing pl yeah, ornate plaster ceilings and things like that, the way that you see throughout, um, you know, even into the uh, 1920s, 30s and 40s, we were still doing that and then it all kind of stopped. Also goes kind of hand in hand with the, uh, um, the, the building trends for uh, houses, uh, the Levitt brothers, that was the name I couldn't think of, you know, that kind of mass construction and, and rapid building of, of, of buildings, all of the uh, ornate aspects kind of went out the window. So it was a few factors that all kind of hit at the same time. Very interesting. Iris, you're a young woman, and uh, I wonder how do your peers react to you when you tell them what your profession is? It's not every day you meet a stone carver uh, uh, at a party, say. Uh, yeah, they all think it's pretty cool, I think. No one's really heard of it. No one really knows that it's a job you can have now. Um, I think because of that, no one really thinks about it like, oh, but that's so weird because you're a girl. I think they just think that's so weird because I've never heard of that job in my life. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know people did that now or ever. And they get really confused when I say what I do. And I usually have to show them pictures of my work to really explain when, it. When you start carving, you have a piece of stone, which you probably pre-select because you know something about it, that kind of stone. What is your first blow your first incision do you draw on it do you have a, a a map do you have a computer aided design you follow how do you go about carving the stone it depends on what you're carving but usually you'll draw something on it and then you um like if it's a face you're gonna like boss out is what you call like getting the major like shapes out of the way like when you're drawing something when you draw a face, you draw an oval and then you do some guidelines on it. You're basically doing that, but in the stone. So you carve out this oval and then you block out where like the eyes will go, where the nose will go, where the lips will go. And then you take away everything that isn't those. And then you can just carve the details and like the intricacies of the face onto that. And it makes it a lot easier. How fascinating, Adam. Iris, you have uh, quite a following on social media, uh, people commenting on your work, on your, your Thomas Jefferson bust, on your work in the National Cathedral. Do you, do you have a fan club? My mom's got this group of friends that she shows all my work <laughs> to. <laughs> so, you know, the girls, <laughs> the graduating class of whenever my mom graduated high school in, you know, Columbia, South Carolina, they love me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not all bad to be loved. Wade, are you loved? Me? Uh, you have a fan club? A question. <laughs> well, what, I'm, I'm actually, this underneath this is a serious question. What is the standing of the college with other universities, with other educators? Are they looking to it as an example? Or do they think that's a nice, curious little school? I think if they have the latter reaction, we're pretty happy. I think that uh, <clears throat> we have tried over the years to work with other um, 
colleges and universities, and <clears throat> they they just don't understand what we do. And uh, because of the desire to have things be familiar, we're generally looked at as basically a trade school until people come and see the work that students are doing and see that it's, you know, kind of levels above what you typically see at a trade school. And then maybe they start to get it. Um, there have been a number of people who have reached out to us uh, over the last few years, I would say probably 15 to 20, who find out about us and say, we want a school like ACBA in our, in our area. <clears throat> and usually they think that we are just going to pop up there and open up the coffers and, you know, it's all going to work out. Um, none of those has, has yet to happen. But, you know, once people sort of see it and because the demand for jobs is there and you have so many places that have historic buildings with no one to take care of them. Uh, like I said, we've had a, we've had a number of places around the country who would love to have a school like this. Um, you know, that's one of my professional goals. I, I'd like to see branch campuses down the road. But um, in terms of traditional academia, I think generally the range is hostility to misunderstanding to, um, like you said, a sort of quaint, oh, that's nice that you do that. Um, but most of most of mainstream academia doesn't understand what we do. <clears throat> Wait, as provost, you had to get the college accredited. That must have been a rather interesting process. Uh, it took three different accreditors before we found an accrediting agency that understood what we did. Uh, the uh, the initial attempt was before I got here, and we went with an accrediting agency that. Uh, specialized in liberal arts colleges, and they just didn't really understand what we were trying to do. And, you know, we had these kind of conversations where they told us, um, and this is, you know, an interesting thing about the way education works. <clears throat> You're not allowed to have your general education classes directly support your majors. So our students take things like architectural history and um, uh, material science and things like that, which are in direct support of what they're here to do. And we were told, well, you know, you would need to do something like biology or chemistry, or you would have to do Western civilization or American history in order for us to be able to accredit you. And that really is, you know, antithetical to the whole philosophy of the program. So we had to kind of shop around until we found a uh, an accrediting agency that really understood what we were trying to do. Wade, you have a professor of timber framing, a professor of timber framing. He yes. says his philosophy is to train craftsmen who are able to maintain the heritage of housing. What is that heritage going to be like going forward in the 21st century? Well, uh, we're going to do our part, uh, <laughs> but the, the trend really seems to be uh, going in the opposite direction in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of our faculty are European or were trained in Europe. And so they kind of come here with a, a different framework of what housing is and can be than maybe people that were raised in the United States who for the most part are living in post-World War II built houses. So uh, Bruno Sutter, who is the uh, timber framing professor that you're referring to, he grew up in, in Alsace on the border uh, in France on the border with Germany, and they have a really strong timber framing tradition there. And so uh, the, just the whole idea of 
building with traditional materials and and building in a way that will endure because most modern construction is pretty much disposable. And um, Bruno uh, was trained in a French program called the Compagnon du Devoir, which is a 10-year training program in France. And um, his final project uh, for that training was to recreate in miniature a roof system for a 700-year-old French building. It's still there. And, uh, you know, nothing built since say 1960 is going to stick around for 700 years in this country. And so it's one of the things our, our president Colby Broadwater always makes the comment that most of what's being built now will eventually end up in a, in a dumpster. And uh, when you build things the right way, they last a lot longer. And, you know, people always ask us how we are approaching um, being green. And the answer is by training people to build things that will stick around for a while and not contribute to um, garbage dumps uh, throughout the world. <laughs> and so I think, uh, you know, there are a few signs of, of light. I think it was Seattle or Portland uh, uh, approved construction of uh, timber frame buildings up to seven stories a few years ago um, because they figured out that, and, and I have been told this so many times and I, I still have difficulty believing it, but large timbers are better fire rated than steel and uh, they are better in earthquakes than steel frame buildings. And so this is, you know, this old way of building, we're hoping might be the new way of building down the road, but we know it's an uphill battle. I want to ask you about the students. When I was at the college in 2017, uh, I was struck by the diversity of students. Uh, I had a very nice chat with a young woman, about Iris's age, who is working as a blacksmith, not a, a traditional job. She was laboring at a 2000 degree forge and very happy. She had tried other things before she came to the college and this was where she needed to be, she felt, and she was very satisfied. Another student I spoke to was a young African-American who had actually been in the Marine Corps, he was somewhat older. And I asked him what he liked about the college and he said, the literature. He enjoyed the literature. <laughs> and I said, what about the literature? And he said, Dickens. And I, then he added with a very wonderful sort of dismissive smile, said, the, the schools around here, meaning the public schools, don't teach a lot of Dickens to people like me. And I thought that was wonderful. The, 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 he was doing framing carpentry, incidentally but he yeah. had found a joy in reading that he didn't know he would. And I thought that was very exciting. Does that diversity continue? For the most part, um, one of the interesting things we've seen over the last few years is that uh, our average age has been creeping down. About the time you were here, uh, I, would, I think the average age of students was about 27 or 28. We're at about 21 now, so we're getting a lot more students coming directly out of high school. Um, we, you know, frankly, uh, we're very male dominated because as you mentioned before, it, it is a, um, it is a traditionally male dominated area. Um, we're probably about 75, 25 male, female ratio at this point. Um, maybe, maybe a little lower than that, but probably somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and, uh, we're not as diverse as we'd like to be when, you know, in general, we don't have as many students as we wish we had. Um, those two students that you talked about, uh, I think you're probably talking about India Lee, 
um, the blacksmith, who I believe is now working in France. And um, Ken McCummings, the Marine that you mentioned, is actually uh, a teaching assistant here part time um, who uh, is helping out in the uh, with the freshmen and sophomores in the wood program. Um, and he also is working actively as a timber framer on, on the days he's not here. Um, for me, it's great when students connect with the liberal arts part of the curriculum. Um, I think the first couple of years, it doesn't make sense to them why they're taking some of the classes that they do. And then usually by about sophomore year, um, they start to see how things fit together, you know, why they took architectural history, why they had to take um, algebra and geometry and trigonometry, why they have, had to take material science, you know, the, the, those are the, um, the big courses uh, uh, in the first couple of years in the liberal arts part that they always kind of question why they have to have them. Um, that even one student had English as one of their favorite classes, I see as a huge victory as I teach the English classes. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I know that's not how it usually works out. Um, Adam, uh, looking at your website, uh, you uh, say that there's a quote, students spend two and a half days each week in apprentice labs learning the artistry and hands-on skills in their craft, close quote. This apprenticeship approach sounds like something very different from, uh, oh, say, law school, where uh, students don't spend much time in courtrooms. So uh, the way that we have the program set up, uh, a normal student who comes to us without transfer credits or anything like that um, will have uh, the typical semester will be 12 credits of liberal arts classes and then uh, a 15 hour a week trade class. Um, and in that trade class, they're learning the basics. Um, and then in the summer times, everybody does an internship where they're actually going out into the real world and working for a company. And that's where most of our students end up being employed uh, when they finish. We had a student who had been offered a job by every place that she had done an internship with here uh, uh, with over her four years here. And she ended up not taking any of those. And the last that I heard, she was working for a timber framing company in the French Alps, which is a pretty nice job if you can get it. Sounds pretty good. Don't they need English teachers that way? Not so much, no, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I'd like to ask Iris, tell me about stone. Stone is not created equal. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there are many kinds of stone, granite, marble, basalt. Um, which stone do you work in, and do you favor one kind of stone over another? We usually use Indiana limestone or Alabama limestone. Uh, I've only ever worked in limestone, slate, and marble. I think I like limestone the most. You can do the most with it. Um, in like a short amount of time, marble is really tough and has a grain to it. So you have to treat it more like wood than you would like limestone, just because of the way it's made and how hard it is. Um, and you can really only slate for certain things. What are the tools of your trade? Is it a big wooden mallet, not a, not a hammer, and a it's, chisel? Yeah, it's chisels, um, rasps, mallets, and we use like pneumatic hammers. So it's like hooked up to a compressor with an air hose. And then it's a little, like imagine a jackhammer, but handheld size. <laughs> That's what I always say. And 
Um, and it, it just is the hammer for you. So you can just focus on the chisel part. What is your great worry that you would crack the stone or that you would go too deep and deface the stone? You don't worry about that as much in the moment because then you would never get anything done. <laughs> like if you're worried about cracking the stone, that's literally all I'm doing is cracking the stone. <laughs> um, whenever you go too deep, because people always want to know that, you just pretend that was your plan all along and go deeper everywhere else to make up for it. And usually if you're doing something like foliage where it doesn't have to look exactly a certain way where it's kind of left to you as the carver, it usually looks better if you've chipped off a corner because then you have to adapt to it. So it looks more natural than what someone would think of when they're like drawing a leaf out. Adam is hoping you'll come over and do a bust of him. <laughs> <laughs> but first finish, the national, first finish the National Cathedral. Tell us about what uh, what you've been doing on the National Cathedral. Uh, I went there for one of my internships over the summer and it was really fun. I loved it. Um, the people there are really nice. I did some Dutchman repairs, which is where you like, if there's a corner chipped out of something, you cut it out, put a new stone in and cut it to size. That's like a big preservation thing in the trade. I did the first half of a replacement finial for when in 2011, there was an earthquake that hit like Virginia area. And, um, a bunch of stuff fell off the building. So I did two of those as my capstone, like replacement finials to go on the building. And they'll go on in a few years. They're making their way around the cathedral with repairs right now. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of repair stuff for the National Cathedral. Iris, to close the program, what would you say to other young women? Um. I'd say don't limit yourself to like a random degree from a liberal, a like liberal arts college. I know we're technically a liberal arts college, but I'd say to any young person in high school or like a four-year college isn't your only option. You can really do so many other things other than like a sociology degree or a communications degree. <laughs> like you can work with your hands, you can make a living, you can be fulfilled in what you do every day. I really enjoy the aspect of going home and being tired because I did physical labor all day. I really enjoy the labor aspect of it. Um, like you can find joy in work that isn't gonna get you six figures right off the gate, out the bat, you know? Um, like as much as they push STEM and how great STEM is, you can be like an artist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like you can be an That's artist. It. That's it, that's artist. it. That's our show for the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you for coming along. I have to go and start practicing because I may want to come down and take a few courses myself. Cheers. Subscribe to White House Chronicle as a podcast on your favorite audio platform.